Yeah. And if, if, you, if, if that's what your culture does that smacks you down like that for dreaming too big, then after a while they don't have to do it. You'll do it to yourself. The head drops. And that's what happened to me in my career. That's musician, activist and father Ash Grunwald and you're listening to The Beginning of Us. I feel like something is rapidly transfiguring in my core being and awakening of sorts. The beginning of us. A raw conversation hosted by your main frother, Billy Otto. Pulling apart what it means to rebirth, to rewild, to be curious and to rechild. I am here. And I am now. Let's go. October 13. Hey fam, you're back with your host from the beginning of us, where we talk about connection, rechilding, rebirth. Today I came out of therapy feeling buzzed. It was so good. I, I get counseling every two months from a beautiful man from the Central Coast and I definitely came to him with a notion of overwhelm. Yeah, I actually get anxious every now and then especially with just committing to a lot of things and a bit of FOMO, a <laughs> bit of masculine insecurity here and there. And um, it was just so good how much this professional space just brought me back to presence. And yeah, I, I felt like I wasn't alone, that I wasn't silly. And I just want to put it out there to all the fam. It's time that we just check in with each other we're all in this together and so often we all know we've been quiet about the ups and downs and the complexities of of the world uh, and I just want to say that uh, you're not alone. How good was the chat with Isabel Cornish? Far out. I got a few comments from you guys through the week and uh, I just want to bring up um, a special someone who said that I can genuinely say you've changed and impacted my life in such a significant way and have opened my mind up to so many things about myself, my life, my health and wellness and my dreams. You have inspired me so much and taught me so much just through being yourself and what can be such a toxic platform and through sharing your experiences and knowledge. This is talking to Isabel. I listened to your podcast today with Billy and all I can say is, wow. That was the most eye-opening, mind-blowing talk I've ever listened to, and I took so much away from it. Thank you so, so, so much for the work you do. You've changed my life, and I love following you. Great. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. It was a very real chat, and if you haven't listened to it yet, just go back to episode 11. Today, we're going to steam train forward to talk to an old uh, hero of mine, Ash Gromwald. I started to get into Ash's music probably eight years ago uh, when I was kind of teaching in high schools and things. And uh, his music is Delta Blues. He's, he's a bit of a shred lord. He's an incredible songwriter, but just such a warm man who's done some great things for music and for the environment. Um, if you don't follow Ash, he's in my show notes. Beautiful soul. He's got a book, he's got albums, he's got a podcast, all which you can view in the show notes. Here we go. The man himself, Ash Grumwald. The beginning of us. Fam, here I am today with a South African blues lord, deeply kind husband and loving father, a soul surfer, nature lover, podcaster, music producer, the songsmith and the wordsmith, the sacred man himself, Ash Grumwald. Welcome, brother. 
Wow, Billy, you're the wordsmith. I love that, man. <laughs> dude, breaking the ice with love. How are you today, dude? I'm great. Yeah, I'm great. It's such an honour to be in your house, man. So much love here and the architecture, the angles, your amazing well, wife, the food, uh, the, the patties, everything. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. You were just having a chat to Danny on the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. <laughs> Rad. But thought yeah. we might just double it up, man. Double yeah, park. Why that's not? cool. That's yeah. so cool. I wasn't expecting to be a podcast guest today. I was really hoping you were home. I've just had so many things on my to-do list, but I was just like, man, if it feels right, I might just ask him for a sneaky little chat. I reckon he might. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good part of your nature that, I mean, I wish I, w- wish I had more of that when I was younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you ask the question. <laughs> you know, you know, because sometimes you go away from people and you yeah. think, I should have, you know, done X, Y, and Z, or, you know, it's good, it's a good quality to I have. Think also, with like the conscious journey, like you take yourself a little bit less seriously and you're like, fuck, like we're just two kids in the sandpit at the end of the day. And if there's already totally. like a vulnerable atmosphere, you can be like, hey, dude, this could be great. What do you think? Yeah. And even totally. if someone was to say no, that's the worst thing. And you just go away, well, it wasn't meant to be. And it's like, you don't need to take it personally. Like coming back to the four agreements, it's like, don't take anything personally. Oh, I love the four agreements. Yeah. Danny, it's part of a mantra in the morning. Yeah. She's telling me. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's yeah, changed yeah. my life. Yeah. 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 Love. That was um, a big one for me is the four agreements. Um, that, that was one I got into last year. Um, is there a particular agreement that- that is important to you? Uh, no, it's it's the um, – I think don't – that's a, you know, a pretty ubiquitous one that don't take things personally. Um, the, that uh, – what was the, the African proverb, what other people think of me is none of my business. That's another thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, but not personalising. I love how in the forum agreements they say no one can do or say anything to you that doesn't come from them. So, like, if somebody's um, being negative to you in any way, that's from them. If they don't have the negativity mm. in them, if they're not feeling bad or somebody who could be hateful, jealous or whatever it is, then it wouldn't come out, you know. So, in the four agreements, they even go to the point of um, even if somebody shot you in the head, <laughs> oh, don't even take that personally. Like yeah. they're the c- kind of person who can pick up a gun and put it to your head and pull the trigger. You know, that's yeah. not a lot. There's more to do with them than it is to do with you. Oh, man. Yeah, so. Like coming from a family where I often felt like scapegoated, like by my dad, like he would, you know, get angry over things and feel things and project these these verbal assertions towards me and I'd take it so personally. I'd react as well. Like, no, I'm not. You are. Totally. His primal's coming out, my primal's just this Neanderthalic back and forth. Yeah. But like now that I take a step back and create and curate space within myself, I'm like, fuck, like I know what it's like to to say those things to people because it usually comes from a lack of self-acceptance and self-love and my dad's gone through some things and that's the space that he's in right now and give him grace. Mm. You know, it's kind of like yeah, you come that's back really to cool. this utterance of deep unconditional love. You know, and that's bro, really cool. Yeah, man. Um, you grew up in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, when did we come? We came out. I did. You know, maybe twenty or thirty laps of this country touring. Yeah, and um, that was you did some touring while you were still a high school teacher. I think a lot of people don't know that. I used to be a teacher <laughs> as well, man. Washed up high school teacher. <laughs> it's a thing. 
Yeah, um, what I I did, um, I was playing in inner city Melbourne. Mm. Um, like, I I made a living by like I'd do like a duo gig at the Dan O'Connell on Tuesday nights. Um, Danny, my wife, for people who don't know who we're talking about, Danny, she had a residency on the Wednesday night with her band, oh. and um, then I'd have. I like do duos in the week and then my band had a residency um, on the weekend, you know, massive big piss-up kind of thing and then I'd play a Sunday afternoon out at a, a regional place solo and I just made – that's what I was doing while I was teaching. Mm-hmm. So I was a re- it was around Melbourne but I'd just like kind of try and gig every night of the week as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then I tried to just squeeze teaching out by – um just gigging, 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 and then I just became a professional musician. And um, Were you teaching music mainly? I did end up teaching music, but I wasn't a music teacher. Yeah, I so. actually studied literature and uh, media. Mate, uh, hence your giftings and writing, <laughs> you know, both lyrics and books. And Yeah, well, that one came out lit. late. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I forgot, you know, this – I was telling you before, I feel like Gandalf sometimes. <laughs> I, I've done a lot of different things. and But, dude, you have such an ageless energy about you, man. Obviously, you're very, very young to me. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, you know, that's a funny thing about that age thing. Um, we were just uh, camping and I was climbing up in these trees and jumping out of them and stuff like that. And then uh, another a mum that was there said, yeah, it's good doing this. It makes you feel young. And then I was sort of saying to her, um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like you do all this stuff when you're young, but when you get older, you stop playing, mm. you often start stop learning. Mm. Um, and as long as you're learning new things and you're challenging yourself and you feel a bit nervous on the way up that tree, mm. um, that keeps that energy that we call a young energy, but it's really just a vitality of um, always always learning and, and keeping on the move, you know. Mm. So I think that's um, uh, that's something I want to keep going for my whole life. Yeah, never fully arriving. Just, yeah, exactly. The yeah. beginner's mind. <laughs> oh, bro! And there's so much humility in that notion. Yeah, and you don't ever have. To, there's humility also because, well, there's along along with that is um, you can relax. Yeah. There's nothing that you're trying to protect. Mm. You know, when you start to stagnate, that's when you feel threatened you know, by mm. other people's success and or you feel like, oh, no. You know, I've had these times in my own career, like my music career where it's like, oh, I'm going downhill or this or that. Mm. But if you're – if you get to a, a spot where you're continually learning mm. and you're into your craft and everything, it, it, the the tables turn, everything becomes really vital and it, yeah. it's not just one what – you're not just doing it for a living or you're not just doing it for this or that. There's m- multiple reasons why you're doing what you're doing. So yeah. you, it, I think it keeps you happier. Yeah. Hmm. Um, was there a time that you did fall into a lot of – you've got a lot of friends that are in the industry that have done so well and was there quite a temptation to fall into comparisons? Oh, yeah, it's definitely hard not to. Um, there Man, was like one- as songwriters, we're so sensitive already. <laughs> yeah. And then you see your friends playing in arenas and it's just yeah, like, oh, yeah. fuck, like – yeah, I, I actually no, I have had it from some young ones have gone by me and just smashed it out of the park. <laughs> but most of them, I'd never really compared. Yeah. Um, 
myself to. And then the ones, most of the ones that um, were bigger than me have always been bigger than me. Like in my root scene, like Xavier Rudd and um, John Butler, um, you know, the Cat Empire, mm. you know, those kind of bands. They're sort of my generation. They've always been bigger. So, yeah. But, you know. You didn't go to school together, the same English class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I have I've known Xavier for a long time. Yeah. I've seen all of his, um, you know, just going from strength to strength to strength. But, I mean, there were, was a time maybe about four or five years ago maybe where I wasn't – I brought out an album that uh, that I was really happy with. Um, that's my not my last one, the one before now. It's called Now, and um, for a range of reasons, it didn't go that well. And also, it coincided with um, me getting the boot of Triple J, just because that time had probably because that time had come age wise. Mm. I was hoping, being a Roots player, that they you know they keep a couple of the bigger ones in there. Mm. I was hoping to make that cut, but I didn't, mm. and that was kind of hard to take. And then you're there touring away, doing worse numbers than before, and then you're looking on Instagram, and all your oh. buddies are in the European and American summer, just going, yeah. "Hello, New York," or whatever, <laughs> and smashing it out of the park. Yeah, um, and sometimes like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, I'll just, okay, you finish looking at that and then go on stage to play to, you know, way less people than you used to. You know, yeah. times like that can be difficult. Mm. But, um, you know, I just think those little ebbs and flows, everybody has to go through in one way or another. Mm. And if you're going to be in it for the long haul, you have to make your peace with that. And it was really good um, when I did. And actually that little downtime for me sparked a lot of transformation. So that was actually really amazing. Yeah, man. I fully, fully really appreciate all that sharing. It was actually um, Charles, Bobby Alou, that oh, yeah. told me a bit about this journey. So I interviewed yeah. him and he's like, dude, you got to get Ash on your podcast, man. Oh, right. <laughs> and he's like, dude, like when he was going through a bit of a thing, in a season and, and what sobriety actually like meant to you at that time and writing the book and the podcast kind of came out of this time of searching. Yeah, totally. When there was like these material, some doors were closing, other ones mm. were opening mm. and that kind of became like a chrysalis of sorts mm. for new things, new life. And I want to mm. go there, man. So mm. tell me about that transformation, that painful stage, that painful <laughs> confrontation, but the new growth that came, man, it's pretty, pretty inspirational. Um. Well, it was a funny thing because, yeah, a lot of this did get documented in my book, which wasn't about this at all. I did a book brief. I'm not trying to do a product <laughs> endorsement here, but it was Lincoln called- Lincoln Bio. Yeah, Lincoln <laughs> Bio. Um, anyway, I was doing a book. I won't sure. tell you about the book. But um, no, I was but doing the book, that. I, that's actually in my notes. <laughs> okay. Well, let, the title. Hey, okay, so it's called Surf by Day, Jam by Night, and it was supposed to be about- it was about surfing musicians and musical surfers and I got like Kelly Slater and Jack Johnson and Steph Gilmore and Dave Rastovich and um, a whole lot of mm. people in on it. And I thought this is going to be cool because, you know, I'm friends with a lot of these people and, um, you know, I've had this great lifestyle of surfing and, and jamming and partying and I'm going to, you know, I've been living the dream all this time. Mm. And then I sort of kerfuffled out around a bit with the book publishers um, and then it was finally time to start. Mm. So I went to do this um, this book but then 
I also came to a head with um, drinking and quit drinking mm. at the exact time that I started the book. What? So I didn't mean it to be a dear, dear diary, but it ended up documenting a lot of the changes in my life because I started interviewing, you know, you're not going to just turn up talking to Kelly Slater and not start sort of trying to do what we're doing right now, mm. which is sort of you're trying to extract some lessons from everyone mm. and some wisdom and some, you know, you know, I remember asking, you know, um, Steph Gilmore at the end of the interview, can you really manifest your dreams, you know, and is that a thing, like is that a hippie buzzword or can you do it, and, you know, Dude. and she was like, yeah, of course, that's what I do, that's what I did to get everything and that's what, you know, that's what Kelly does, he's way into that and things like that so they really aided my journey um, wow, man. I didn't realise yeah. how fresh you were kind of even to that more spiritual vocabulary. Oh, yeah. Kind of playing with it. Like, whoa, curious child, <laughs> just like coming to it. Because I was sort of, uh, and I still am, I can be quite anti. Um, I like to try to think for myself original thoughts that have meaning for me. So if there's a buzzword, yeah, I don't use it unless it, well, we all pick up things, but I don't use it unless it really has personal meaning for me. And then that was, I don't know, at the time I've been really kind of secular sometimes in my life, like not going really out there and then other times I've been really quite out there. So anyway, um, I found that you can manifest things yeah. and you can and if you are trying to manifest something, if you are um, striving towards even an outward goal, no matter how audacious it is, the more audacious, the better. Um, it can really change your life if you're prepared to fix your mind on that and mm. start moving towards it and do good things in your life to help to move towards that thing. I'm not talking about mm. running over people to get it. That's no. that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah. Um, but it did work for me. I mean, I feel like my even my musical career mm. is um, it's not something I – rely on or, you know, I want to build more than that in my life. But mm. it, it's it gone way, way better since going through all that stuff and mm. I was able to manifest a few things that have been really cool. Yeah. Um, like so even yeah. I remember one of your goals, Danny, was telling me like two days ago when I bumped into the fam at Santos, mm. she was like, um, I was with Ash and we we're looking at the calendar and you're looking at 2020 and you're like, should I put down the forum? Do I yeah. want it, you know, am I going to sell the forum? Like, what's yeah. going on? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure. And Oh, totally. And then that you're was like, hilarious. put it down, which is like a beautiful, like, beautiful, yeah, very much a quote-unquote dream. Mm. Um, but, yeah, tell us about that because, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it actually fucking manifested. Well, yeah, Tesky. it kind of has actually. Yeah. And, and isn't it funny with in a lot of that for, for some people, it does sound a little woo-woo for some people but and for others not. But, like, you know, they say, you know, if you want something, manifest a dream. Be And this is what, uh, as, as I said, um, Steph Gilmore really emboldened me because she's like, yeah, reach for things. Like, reach for big things. And and um, a lot of people dream too small. That's what yeah. she was saying. And that we're brought up to dream too small. Yeah. Anyway, so when Danny said to me, at the start of the journey, <laughs> we were laying down. We've been doing some yoga and then we were laying down and I sort of had my eyes closed and she's like, imagine selling out the forum. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not even selling out the corner anymore. This is ridiculous. Mm. And I just thought it was complete bullshit. 
And um, and then I, she said, no, think about it. And then I was like, okay, well, okay, well, I guess I could do this and I could do that. And actually, what I what I um, what I decided at that time was something that I haven't. It's not what got me there in the end, but. I decided to become like a shredder blues guitarist, <laughs> like like uh, there's a guy called Joe Bonamassa who plays like a million notes a second. He's a really, really amazing guitarist. Um, and he comes out to Australia. Um, he's about my age and pulls thousands of people still. And then he plays Red Rocks, mm. you know, three gigs in a row in, in America. I thought, okay, well, I, that's fun too. I can do that electric blues guitar thing, but it's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> So then I started, I decided on that and then um, I got up and there was a little ding on my phone and I had decided, okay, I'm going to sell out the forum and I'm going to try and work towards it. I'm going to start working on my tricky blues guitar sort of stuff. And then um, there was a ding on my phone. It was my agent. He goes, have you ever heard of uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, who is a shredder guitarist? <laughs> and I shredder blues guitarist, like a Steve Ray Vaughan kind of yeah. guy and he, I had a national tour with him. That in that second, so it was really weird. <laughs> and we were playing, we did play the forum too, by the way, but that was a funny little coincidence. So I got that straight away and I'm not making any claims. It was just, wow, funny coincidence. Whoa. And I was like, wow, that's fun. And um, so I did set about practicing, 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 and I brought an album out like that with a lot. Mm. And then Joe Bonamassa ended up playing on that album, which was amazing. <laughs> that was just insane and um, mm. that was really good for me in Europe and stuff and just before COVID hit I was touring Europe and things were going really well yeah, with man, that plan. Over. I was watching the yeah. socials, it looked insane. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. We were doing doing well and that was really fun mm. and um, and then I ended up recording the, th- the album with Josh Teske and, you know, this year if it wasn't for COVID we had, um, oh, it's not the forum. It's the it's the same size though essentially. Well, it's twelve. It's actually it's a really nice venue. It's a twelve hundred seater. It's mm. not quite as big as the forum, but mm. hey. So anyway, long story <laughs> yeah. short, somehow it it worked out, and oh, that's what I was going to say at the start. In that kind of field of people talking about manifesting mm-hmm. and stuff, they always say it's going to happen in a way you don't know about. So don't you don't have to know the way it's going to happen. You don't even think about that. You just think about what you want. Start mm. moving towards it and sort of let the universe shift things around and it'll happen in a way that might not be the way you intended or it might mm. be slightly different whatever happens. But if you're channeling your energies in the right direction for the thing that you want, you'll get way further than if you've already decided like we mm. normally do. Mm. Oh, I won't aspire for that. I'm not even thinking about it because it's not possible. Yeah. My, my transcendental meditation teacher, he says, if you want a red Ferrari – you can manifest a red Ferrari, but the thing is with things like that, the next week you'll see a blue Ferrari and you'll want the blue one. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think the universe does more so work with things from from a noble place. You know, you want to use your giftings and your channel to to help heal the world, you know, and there is something noble. Like I think when I was younger, I wanted to play arenas when I was playing in punk bands and stuff, but a lot of it came from a deep sense of insecurity and just, you know, um, in, yeah, deep insecurity. And, but I think now, like I remember when I first moved to Byron, I was going through a bit of a relationship transition and 
you know, like I had a bunch of tours and stuff canceled and this and that was happening. Like we all went through like this little musician existential crisis. I was watching your socials and you're like, man, the government said maybe six months. Of yeah. <laughs> and at that stage, we didn't know about JobKeeper. So we're yeah. all like trying freaking to get chickens, out. freaking out. <laughs> I was getting my Armageddon chook, Dude, chooks you and got everything. Your chooks, you're like, yeah. we're, we're growing veggies. Saw all that. But for myself, I remember he said um, to this meditation class over Zoom, he's like, this week- we're talking about the laws of attraction. We're going to signal that to the universe. And trust me, those two, three things, talk to me in a week's time, but signal out and things are going to happen in your life. I needed clarity of my relationship. I wanted to grow my music. And um, that week I called things off with my ex-fiance. I fully felt so much clarity and it was so swift, peaceful, respectful. And the next day... I got a job at Rocking Horse Studios, a studio that oh, I'd cool. always wanted to record at as like a little grom, you know. And and the day after that, I finished this song called Beautiful Life with Kyle Einhart, which did well. And there was just things that just kind of ticked over really seamlessly. Things that I, you know, had been, um, you know, that had been in my heart. And soon after the, the record deal came through and it was just kind of like just these things that just, yeah, that, that 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 flew into to my realm and it wasn't like a grasping, but it was a manifesting, but I postured out, I signaled out to the universe and you never really know how these things are going to come in what kind of form. And, you know, like you're saying, like how it's going to happen, you know, mm. but bizarre. Mm, that's the fun of it. Um, and it's really cool to let yourself go into, mm. for those people who are sceptical, it's just <laughs> like what, what, I, what I came to with thinking that way is like um, – and a lot of this came out in my book is like I'm fucking sick of of thinking about like censoring myself for what would make sense at a barbecue to a conservative person or something. You know, mm. like I mean, like sometimes I self-censor. I think, does that yeah. sound sensible? Yeah. It doesn't sound sensible. Okay, you know. Mm. And then I, I, I stopped thinking about that. I thought, fuck that. I want what's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> what helps? You know, what helps me do the things I want to do in my life um, mm. and, and what doesn't. And sometimes, yeah, because I'm naturally, I guess the backstory to that is I'm probably naturally somebody who's, I don't know, I pride myself on being logical um, mm. and um, even though I can get pretty out there, but I don't know. So mm. I feel like that was holding me back. Mm. You don't want to look to the past for all of the evidence for what lies in your future. You know what I mean? Like you don't wow. want to base what's possible over <laughs> Yeah. Reach it. You, you don't want to yeah, you don't want to base what's possible for you in your life on what happened in the past. Mm. You want to have um uh who's the podcaster Tim Ferriss, I think he said he had somebody who was a buddy for him to sort of give him a um philosophical slap across the face when his dreams became too realistic. You know it's like mm. Wake up to yourself, man. Your dreams are becoming too realistic. Yeah. He wanted to wants to dream for some some big things and some audacious things. And mm. I think in our culture Especially being Aussie tall poppy. Yeah. Dude, fucking get smacked yeah. down. Yeah. And if if you if if that's what your culture does that smacks you down like mm. that for dreaming too big, then after a while they don't have to do it. You'll do it to yourself. Mm. The head drops. And that's what happened to me in my career. Because actually all of the success that I had earlier in my career in that Roots explosion was sort of almost um, 
I just felt lucky. I didn't really have a plan with it at all. Mm. Um, I was just happy to just play music for a living. That was it. Mm. Um, so it's like in this latter part of my career or the new phase, I actually had to start setting some, nah, why don't you try and do this? Mm. Why don't we try and do that, you know? Um, so, Beautiful, yeah. Beautiful, man. Hmm. I reckon there's a lot of crew out there that are listening to this and so much is just hitting home, like you're just mm. dropping golden mm. heavenly gems, bro. It's good. <laughs> just, just waxing lyrical, bro. <laughs> I love it. I want to just go to mental health with that as well because yeah. uh, in the midst of all of this, I'm sure there's a lot of wacky self-talk going on. Mm. And obviously you're uh, drinking a little bit, you know, you're kind of doing a bit of drinking the blues rock thing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what was your sense of self in that in that space in that in that season, well, uh, in the down, yeah, yeah. I was there some self talk there, and yeah, I just found it really difficult. Uh, I always thought, um, surely there has to be a payoff because, like, when things were all rosy, like say the previous decade before that, and mm. things were just building at a nice level, and um, I felt very lucky for the success that I had. I was always appreciative. I don't think I ever got carried away and thought, I deserve this. I always mm. felt like, you know, thankful for it. Um, so surely then if you're like that and you're quite humble with it and whatever, and shouldn't it be easy if it goes down? Mm. No, it's <laughs> not at all. It was still hard. I remember I had to play one room. I hate even talking about it. It was the Metro and I had to – I'd played that room so many times and then I had to play the Great small- venue. It's like a prestigious um, space in Sydney, guys. Incredible yeah. venue. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, a reasonable-sized venue and then I had to play in the, si- in the small bit. Yeah. And it was just – and then go to the old uh, backstage <sighs> area, which – and so I had to walk the old path oh <laughs> and it was God. like, ah, this is a little bit hard to take. Um, so things like that, it was like, ah, what what do you do to make that cool? You know, you're not going to be juggling and going, yeah, how sick is this? I'm pulling fucking <laughs> shit numbers. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you know, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard. Um, and then on a separate tangent and maybe it's it could be linked too because – there's a few factors. There's also my age. You know, you have different. Um, you yeah, have you're 40 young, bro. You're so <laughs> young, man. But you have um, the thing about that is you have um, you have different eras anyway. For sure. Like, say, so people who were like partying when they were 25 mm. to my music, go- listening to Triple J and going to every music festival, they might not be doing that at um, 44. Sure. You know, so there was that as well. Um, and on the drinking front, that was running concurrently. Danny reckons it's be- I was drinking more because of that. Mm. I still don't um, admit that. <laughs> um, or I don't think I was like turning to the bottle. I think I was in also. Oh, maybe I was. Don't know. Uh, it's hard to tell on that front um, because also concurrently, over the years since I started in music, I just started, I just was party, party, party and um, I just partied more and more and more and um, so that came to a head too. So that wasn't helping because then I was just like my inspiration levels were a lot lower yeah. and like I used to be really, um, when I first started like sort of 
making up things on stage and mm. really spontaneous. Yeah. And uh, every gig was different. But then I thought it was just the years, but like it just all got a bit samey. Mm. But I reckon it was alcohol yeah. actually that made it just like, mm, you know, five beers before you play. Whew. Minimum. Because, <laughs> man, uh, when I played that show with you with Sam Whitley on the Central Coast, you, you would have been sober that night. It was in yeah. March. And, um, yeah, man, we had a good chat about history about South Africa <laughs> before you went on stage. And you fully came in really gathered. And I remember in that night you were facilitating that space. I think it was the Rhythm Hut, Central oh, yeah. Coast in yeah, Gosford. Yeah, yeah. And Great venue. Yeah, it was packed out. And you were fully holding space in a really beautifully articulate and fun way like between tracks there was just like this sense of connection and it wasn't just about the songs and you being a human jukebox it was connection yeah there was a moment it was symbiotic yeah that's what i love about playing solo in particular yeah Yeah. but particularly i think like you and your sobriety shining out from that inner child joy like i think it's a whole different energy as well Mm. isn't it funny because most of the things that you do drink for like i used to always drink to get a little shine on to party to have fun to be get a bit loose Mm. be spontaneous Mm. all of those things it it killed all of those things you know and the best way i can rock up like i thought i couldn't jump on stage without having a drink and then as soon as i made a commitment to not drink for a year i was playing wineries and also, <laughs> you know, it's January, yeah. you know, um, and playing all sorts of things and um, I just had to go, okay, right, okay, now I don't drink. And then suddenly this ritual that was essential, you know, I just had to, if I played a gig that was put on by the council or something yeah. and they didn't have um, they didn't have a rider, I'd be like, this is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where's the drinks? This isn't, this isn't proper music. There's no mm. drinks. Mm. But I went from that from that, and then the moment I just quit, it was just like, oh, I don't need that. And then it was just up there and it was fine. Mm. So it's funny the things that you hold yourself to that just aren't even – when you get down to it, it's not even important. And now I just feel so much fresher on stage, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, just before we get into sobriety, someone could be listening right now. Like would you actually feel like you actually went through a depression – in that, in that season, was it like a slight anxiety? Do you feel like mental health was a conversation that you had with people or like looking back now? Or? Uh, yeah, I think I was pretty – I think I had a, a, a background kind of depressed worry, a lot of yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. So that's anxiety, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked so hard on my mental health and mm. – um, I've always a naturally I always had tended to be a naturally happy person and then I think for that reason I was fascinated with it and I always I've always been finding out more about like basically positive psychology mm. and you know Buddhism you know lots of yeah. self-help you know um I shouldn't say Buddhism. I should just say reading books by the Dalai Lama. <laughs> um, but so I've always been. So that was that did help me through that time anyway, mm, a little bit. Mm. But I, you know, it was it was hard times, definitely yeah, emotionally. Sure. Um, yeah. But then I found like I had this piece of the puzzle that was wrong. Mm. That was hard. That was I was trying to always make up for being a party animal, mm. like get up early in the morning, go for a surf anyway. 
read some good stuff that's good for your mind mm. or all these other things in sort of trying to counteract mm. something. But then I think that thing was catching up with me. So um, when I stopped that, I just sort of took off and then I, I feel like that whole spiritual side opened up a lot more. What do you mean you stopped? Like you just talked about going for a surf early and reading good books. Are you saying you stopped? No, when I stopped drinking, oh, okay, yeah, it sure, left sure, sure. the space for the good stuff yeah, to flourish. Yeah, like a beautiful void. It, it, yeah. was almost, it was almost like with drinking, good it vacuum. was all held at bay. I used to yeah. joke, say detox, retox, detox, retox. <laughs> but so I wasn't just holding it. I wasn't just, uh, you know, running on a treadmill then. I was yeah. able to propel forward a little bit. Oh, dude, I feel like, you know, like Danny was just asking me about like what would you say to the young Billy or, you know, tell me about the transition between like, drinking alcohol and not. And for me, all in all, man, it's like, fuck, when you create space, yeah, like, that's where it's at. And I feel like alcohol and certain ways of thinking and certain scenes and for myself, certain things that I did with my life and even like, like being into porn, you know, and things mm. like that, just noise, mm. more noise and more noisy distractions that were taking me away from that inner voice, that inner curvature of consciousness where mm. like all this wisdom and beauty and sacred energy is – Mm, that's uh, a creating point. spaciousness. Like my songwriting has never been – I can write songs every day now. Wow. It's a beautiful stream of consciousness and I can connect and love people, give long hugs. Mm. I can say beautiful things about myself to myself, you know. Mm. And, yeah, I think when you remove certain things like you're saying, like you have this even time. Mm. It's like in the morning and you wake up and waking up at 5.30 or 6 and just feeling, mm. wow, invigorated – I'm not experiencing a hangover. I'm not thinking about regret or what I said to a chick the night before, forgetting a name. <laughs> you know, it's like mm. it's it's here and now. Mm. Well, that was interesting, that spaciousness thing that you said. Mm. And that's what comes from any um, – that's the silver lining too for anyone listening to this mm. who has experienced any kind of downturn or mm. something they yeah. don't want that yeah. they wouldn't choose, even going right to – they say even death um, gives you this. You know, after death, there's a new life that comes after that or you go on to another dimension or, you know, but if you, you know, after co- you know, COVID hit, we got stuck, couldn't do anything in how we – things didn't go as planned for us the way we wanted it to, everybody. And so some of us have found some silver linings and it's left a space to mm. – go into something else but usually when the death happens or the the negative thing happens to you you can't see at that time you've got to accept I can't see what is going to fill in that space Mm. but something cool can come into that space and that's usually what happens Mm. so it's worth you know it's worth remembering that when something happened that is not your first preference yeah I think like for a lot of us guys that suddenly get made single from a girl, it's like the natural knee-jerk reaction is like, fuck, I need to feel validated. Get on Tinder. Find a new distraction. It's <laughs> got the perfect dimensions. Just, you know, jump on that. You know, validation. I don't feel lonely. I don't feel rejected anymore. Yeah. But I think being brave and soft enough to befriend that space and mm. that liminal that liminal space, which is mm. scary, but it's in that liminal transitional space where you can accelerate the most amount of growth, for sure. Mm. Metamorphosis, mm. evolution. Mm. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really, really good point. And even with songwriting, um, I think that's a great point. And I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I can bang out a song today or not, <laughs> um, but that's really cool. And I have a little bit of an addiction. I'm an infovore. 
Um, and, uh, and I have been for many, many years, um, well, for my whole life. So I have to stop cramming mm. like I like listening to podcasts, <laughs> although yeah. everyone listening to this podcast, keep listening, but um, listening to audiobooks, podcasts, mm. you know, it, it, my phone is always running with a YouTube clip, like listening to some bit of wisdom or this or that. Um, so I can be a bit of an info vol and like it's great, but there is a time where you have to leave that little space and then just start doing the stuff instead mm. of just talking about it. <laughs> really honouring <laughs> honoring the integration. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll just be like picking up. There's no shortage of mm. um, knowledge around, but there's probably a shortage of wisdom because that's probably the application of knowledge mm. into a practice. Yeah. You know? My meditation teacher Andrew Marsh always said that spontaneous is seen, I mean, uh, wisdom is seen in the spontaneous. It's kind of like you're absorbing all this information and learning about wisdom, but it's when someone has a car accident, how they respond to that in that yeah. moment. That's where you really see wisdom, how they react. And yeah, do they react? Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, I was hearing this thing. <laughs> It's so funny. I always I end up quoting this guy Sadhguru a lot, right? <laughs> but um, have you heard of him? Sadhguru, he's on. He's, yeah, I have. Yeah, he, he's good on. He's got a lot of stuff on his socials. Um, he's got a good um, social media thing happening. But he had this thing that they used to do in the Isha Yoga Center that he runs. That they used to throw a bit of rope out and shout snake. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. But like to see if people how they respond, yeah. like to see if they really yeah, are fight or flight. Yeah, do you do you you know do you really go crazy? Yeah. And you know yourself if you've ever had a friend um, who is very or an associate or a family member who's really highly strung. Mm. Like when you if you went rah behind the door, they'd go crazy. Yeah, you know, like the person who's got more pent up yeah. fight or flight stuff will go crazy when they get a fright or when something doesn't go right. Or somebody who's got their stuff worked out more doesn't have such Dude, a big like, reaction. <laughs> so. I was dating a girl, like if if my knife slightly grinded a plate, yeah. how much it would change her whole energy, her eyes, like her whole body would get stiff. Yeah. Like so sensitive to sounds, like overly sensitive. Yeah, like, oh, I just can't stand when you do that. It's just, oh, you know. It's Jolty just, when I'm driving the car. Yeah. And then also reading in, oh, the way that your friend talks to me, he must hate me. Like, babe, like. Yeah, it he probably loves you. Like, it's yeah. all connected. And it's sure. it's putting um it's putting a lot of power into the external world for mm. it to not fit to their um requirements. Mm. So there's a lot to be upset about, mm. you know. Yeah. Um. And so I guess that's what they used to do. He did say they stopped doing that. <laughs> oh, dude. Great, I think it's a though. good test. Yeah. Man, you're very big on mindset and you've so well crafted um, a lot of your paradigm. Is there anything you just want to add to that before we move on? Because you, is a lot of, um, I guess, like I've listened to some of your podcast episodes, but it seems to be like um, part of your, the ash template, which is like talking, like the praxis, the practical of mindset and how much it's changed your life. Is there anything else you want to add? Um. Well, there was a lot. There's a lot I would always like to add about that, and you're very right about mm. that. That's that's my mm. way of seeing the world, and it's it's more like um, it's the it's the positive side, yeah, um, 
I feel like um, nature doesn't like a vacuum. Mm. Um, so if you sit around and don't take any responsibility for your mindset and how you react to things, but you blame the external environment, like the people around you and the situation, and you say, this is making me upset, then then you, you're bound to have, you're actually bound to have problems. So, yeah, when you say... Mm when you say, okay, you know, my, the way I react to the world mm. is, is up to me. Mm. And that's not popular with everybody to speak that way. Mm. And that's mindset. But I think mindset makes a massive, massive um, difference in, you know, going right back to, um, you know, the often quoted uh, Viktor Frankl, you know, man's mm. search for meaning when he was in a concentration camp. He's mm. a psychologist and he noticed that the people – who were able to survive in Auschwitz, which he was, mm. you know, had hope and and as much as they could, a positive in that horrible hole, in that hell, mm. they they kept uh, a hope and a uh, and took responsibility for the way they feel, yeah, and um, got were able to, you know miraculously get through and anything, what do we have to deal oh, with, you know? Oh, man, insurmountable. You know? Like, yeah. And I think that's even coming back to the four agreements. Like every everything in your world and including people around you could be living in hell, but you can still exist in heaven mm. even if you're living in hell. You know what mm. I mean? Like mm. it's mm. – and um, waiting for conditions to be right. It's like waiting for the surf to be barely – six foot all the time. It's yeah. like it happens, you know, six times a year. It's just, yeah. you know, it's and like, but I think even my surfing energy has changed. I'm like, fuck, it's going to be a fun session. I'm with the boys. It's beautiful. Mm. Slept mm. well, you know, just like it's one foot, mm. bring out the mid length. Yeah. I think even the way that I criticize surfing and waves, like I'm not, I'm not going out. That it's not going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, everything. I used to think about that philosophically, like uh, why do I enjoy, like when you go out and it's onshore, you have more fun sometimes, yeah. often because you you have no expectations on mm. the surf. You yeah. actually then you get getting down to oh, I'm just happy to be surfing and oh mm. the board turned in a different way or you know yeah. I got a different feeling of that yeah. and you're laughing and yeah. you're carrying on and, and you, it's a bit lumpy and there's a reform section yeah and you're like often hey. less people out you know yeah you know and for sure wow and, this is an obstacle course <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's cool you know and that that life's a little like that and I think like um a recipe for a happy life is to treat life like that. You know, when mm. it does go on shore, you, you're like, wow, man. this is an obstacle course, Every this chop. Man. I bring it into my surfing, into my riding, when I write with Kyle, whatever it, whatever it is, whatever mode, it's still two kids getting in the sandpit always. I come back to that inner child. Mm. That becomes my lens. When you're a little kid, there isn't really expectation unless your mum said you're going to get ice cream and didn't come through. But generally, you're kind of pretty present. Even yeah. Jesus talks about if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. That mm. there's something in that. Mm. Like, fuck, this is fun. Mm. Let's play. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool. And that that does bring up that thing, like what I said before. I like um, you don't want to, when you go into right with Kyle or in this very moment now, mm. you can draw from the past. Like mm. if you have a little quote you want to use or whatever, but you don't like you don't want to be living your whole life just thinking about the past the whole time. Mm, yeah. You you know, if you to be truly present, you know, you 
I don't know. There's a world of possibility out yeah, there. That's I think all Eckhart, I'll say. <laughs> Eckhart Tolle talks about, you know, we're living in this present. This present moment is all we have. But to go to the past as much as we need to, yeah, you've got to find a piece of puzzle, access the future as much as you need to to plan. Sure, we all need diaries. You know, we need calendars and things. But to not live in the future or in the past, that's the difference. Yes. It's like how can I fully be here with Ash Grumwald right now and this is it. You know, this could be my last conversation. This is it, you know, and future is a concept. The future is illusory. Yeah. You know. Well put, well put. You you sort of, I was like on a little tangent there and you're like, <laughs> no. yes, I get this guy's tangent. Oh, dude. No, but it's I so true. You, you, you need to because most of us live actually we're sort of walking through life but we're actually living in the past and in the future and never in the na- the now and that's what i think that was just that set my world on fire when i first you know read mm. the power of now just to yeah. think wow i'm actually like if you're in your mind if you're driving down the road and you're in your mind actually you're just living you're usually reliving a bad memory mm. or you know or it's worrying about something in the past feedback loop yeah, and it's it's and then it, that becomes a habit. Yeah. Um, so the more you can get rid of that, that's like what you've been talking about. You're leaving a beautiful space there. Mm. You've got more RAM. You've got more available CPU that you mm. can be creative with, mm. rather than clogging yourself up. You know, I used to get it so much with planning my diary with music, like feeling so much FOMO. I'd say yes to something. And then someone would ask me to play a bigger show somewhere and be like, mm. fuck, why did I say that two months mm. ago? Oh, mm. you know, why did I commit to that? I can't pull that now. They've already put down a deposit. I can't. Mm. And it would like kill me, man. Sometimes for months I would come back to that. If only I didn't go to the lake that day, I wouldn't have seen that person. And you go back to the narrative. This narrativizing, this narrativizing is just this metastatizing of, of hardware. It's like cancerous. It's literally mm. like this negative neurological pathway is like it's all questering all of that, all that deep, beautiful inner child joy when you could just be like, this is what I have and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. But I would constantly just lose myself in FOMO, man. And it would come to parties too. Like, oh, I forgot about that party and things like that as an extrovert would really crush me. Oh, yeah. I'm a FOMO (laughs) guy too. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, If you you are like sort of like – we are like you can tell from this conversation. We're frothers. We yeah, love life. Man. You know, yeah. High then energy. F- FOMO is FOMO's what the frother has to watch out for. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> because yeah, because it it FOMO obviously by the nature of it, fear of missing out. It 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 really um, guarantees regret. And when you live a life with so many options, oh, you're guaranteed of regret if mm. you focus on what you don't have because. You can have so much, mm. but you just can't have it all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. We're so lucky that we can because we're so lucky, we can yeah. we can have FOMO and just because we've got so many great options. Yeah. So the very thing that makes you know, that makes our life so lucky, we can we can end up being a, a cause of like distress. It's just hilarious. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> and I think what has fatherhood taught you in all of that as well? Because Beautifully, fatherhood brings up its, it brings up its own organic in, inhibitors. Mm. Beautifully, mm. you know, you want to spend more time with your daughters, with Sunny and Aria, and but how is how is fatherhood come into that space, and and how has it also helped to alter things for you, man? Mm. Well, you know, it helped me decide, and with and Danny decide to live in this area. 
Wow. Because we Sunny was Sunny was born when we were still living in Torquay, mm. and then we we actually lived in our van for a while, and mm. then we went around Australia, and then we settled here. Um, so it brings things into clarity, I think, like things you sort of dilly dally about until you have kids. Like mm. you're like right, you start locking things in. I think, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this area, but I like that area. Where do you want your kids to grow up? Right, okay. That's where we're living, mm. you know. Um, so it makes a few things more definite when somebody and there's somebody there asking you for real answers, and um, and you start to get just a little bit more definite, a little bit more purposeful. And I think that's good. Mm. Um, I I learn so much from my kids, though. Like we have very sort of open way of talking about the world, and mm. they're great, you know. Like in terms of. Mm philosophical insights or whatever, I like to just feed it into them. Yeah. Like I feel like Sunny, who's now 11, she, she looks so much like you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she's funny and she's a bit of a philosopher herself. Yeah, deep soul. And um, I feel like she really took off when we moved to Bali and for when we were homeschooling and her vocab went through the roof and this and that and I thought, geez, she's really progressing and – and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. She's just hanging out with me having these conversations, you know, and Danny having these conversations 24-7 instead of being at a school talking to little shits. Like, mm. <laughs> you know, good good kids and whatever, but they're, they're kids. But when she's ha- they're hanging out with you all the time, then they, they're learning adult things. Mm. And, you know, we're always talking on similar levels to how we're talking now. Mm. Um so that's something I've loved in in being a parent, um, just to, you know, share insights about the world and see them progress. And, you know, I, I did love that period of them not being at school. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it was good for them. But even that, I feel like some of the, the notions that you're bringing up now, like even the way that you view your children is very honouring that you fully see them as very capable human beings. Oh, and yeah. you, you're speaking in real terms. Yeah, and like even talking about vocabulary and their capacity to learn, and and to be like it's beautiful, man. I feel like there's a lot of, it's like a, a hyper hyper childing of of kids. You know, it's kind <sighs> of like you associate them with you know they're they're this and I'm 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 adulting, so I'm superior. I'm elite. You know, it's like <laughs> but I think the way that you relate to your children is powerful. That it's it, there's so much respect and I think they would definitely feel so empowered. Yeah. I, res- culture. I respect them really highly. Um, yeah. and, and they, they know that, but, um, I'm always, this is like, would be seen as old school <laughs> in, um, I'm always like, we're joking all the time, but I'm always the parent. And like, if they are sort of, I don't yeah, know what term you, if they're, um, you know, if they're being stupid or like uh, selfish or mean to each other or whatever it happens to be and there's some lesson to teach them, I mm. just always, and Danny's the same, we'd tell them straight away mm. um, because I I do think like people try now these days, sometimes we maybe have to watch the fact that this is controversial Um People are scared to make mistakes as parents or I don't feel mm. like people are too scared to just lead. Like, yeah. And I 
always, like I said, have the conversation and it's like we're friends but mm. I still am their dad and mm. I still tell them when they fuck up or whatever mm. and, and say, you know, you can do better than yeah, this. This yeah. is what to it's do. It's with kindness and it's yeah. still with unconditional love. I think there's a way yeah, to be totally. like firm and kind. They're together. They're, they're one of the same. It's not totally. like, you know. Well, you would have found that if, yeah. you, if you did time teaching. Yeah. You know, kids that have no boundaries, that's not good for them. No. no. I always joke to the kids. It's part like, of the sacred masculine, man. Like I'm all about yeah. it. Like it's yin-yang. It's the, the way the Tao is both. Yeah, right. Fully with that, mm. man. And I think in traditional family structures, your dad gives you a slap but your mum mm. gives you a hug. Like I don't mm. like that dichotomy, that duality of mm. like, one, you know, one's your mum, mm. one's your dad. It's like, no, I think within the sacred man, like it's it's beautifully like you don't need, obviously you don't need to hit your kids, but it's like to be firm, mm. but to be completely in love, firm. Mm. Totally. And, you know, and, and you walk away from that chat with your daughters mm. and they're hugging you and yeah. it's just like, I'm with you, darling, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. Because like you, you – you need to give them something um, strong, mm. something firm that they can sort of – they're bouncing things off you yeah. the whole time and yeah. they're pushing certain boundaries mm. and I don't see – and this is a small part of parenting but it's a very important part. Like I don't see the whole thing about that. I'm not saying that they're constantly – it's not my paradigm that they're constantly pushing boundaries and trying to mm. see what they can get away with or whatever, mm. but that's a part of – being a parent and mm. um, I think it's a good service to your kids to um, to give them that. You've lived a lot of life and if you've been honest with yourself and you're trying to be the best person you can be, then you're in a good place to actually give them guidance. You should mm. be <laughs> <laughs> or you've learnt nothing. <laughs> and it's part of like sacred eldership. Like that, yeah. it's in our evolution. It's in our ancestry. We all grew up in villages, you know, like yeah. 10,000, 5,000 years ago and so – yeah, bro. Um, is there anything that you'd want to say um, if you could talk to your, you know, 12-year-old Ash? You know, there's, there's a lot of, obviously, we've talked a lot about stuff with programming and conditioning, but, you know, as we start to land the plane, brother, just coming back, because my podcast is all about the beginning of us, like the the rebirth, the, the coming back to the inner child, to rebirth and to, to reconnect. But it's like, what would be an utterance or a notion that you would communicate to to little Ash? Oh wow, that's huge. I, I mean, I don't, I I don't know exactly what I would say. I, um, I think you know, keep as light a heart as possible. Whew. You know, yeah, that's probably the main thing. Do everything, but just just. Keep it light. That's where the that's where the good stuff comes from. That's where the creativity comes from. You know. Mm. And then, um, yeah, because with that that lightness and that softness, like I think you have all these these pictures and um, assertions about yourself that you hold in such high regard. Even for an example, as well, like. Um, I'm a producer. I'm a I'm a I'm an environmental activist, and this is mm. what I am, and this is my name, and you know I want people to know who I am. And there's mm. just even those noble intentions that I have for my existence. Still, sometimes I need to come back to like I I'm not always light about that, you know, and I take myself totally. very seriously. And like, yeah, that's the one not to do. That's I, I wrote a song about that very notion, and like thinking about environmentalism. I mean, Dave Rastovich is a yeah. really good friend of mine, and. It, um, I interviewed him about a lot of the Enviro stuff um, in the book and it, one thing he's always said is like 
to not you can do things in such a way like say if you do it if you take it really seriously and you're really down about it and it's all you know like it's mm. a big struggle mm. you won't have the longevity mm. or it'll it'll affect you you know you need to you can make serious change but that doesn't mean and you can be you know do a lot of really full on serious things but you don't have to take yourself seriously Mm. You know, you can still keep a light heart. The the challenge, I think, in life mm. is to make good change and still keep a light heart, still mm. keep playing, still keep laughing as you do all that stuff, mm. you know, and that that's really important. Because I felt like coming out of the church world, for example, where everyone takes their creed and their dogma, their theology so seriously – I'm this, or I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a Pentecostal, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and this is what we believe, da, 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 and we're, it's us against the world, we've got to try and get everyone from hell to heaven. Da, da, da. And I left that, but then I went into the Enviro world, and it was kind of the same thing. <laughs> you know, the different NGOs, like there's just, there's still weird backbiting, there's infighting, it's like who's mm. in, who not to trust, it's like, mm. I was just, and then I found that I was just this young guy coming into this world again where there was a lot of scapegoating, there was a lot of tribalizing. Mm. And I think just that attachment to form and it's like, again, if there was more lightness in that space, I mm. think there'd be more togetherness and more like, mm. fuck, yeah, let's laugh together and mm. change the world together. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, keep it keep it happy and keep it on um, on point. You know, people need to be more honest with their with themselves about their agendas sometimes. Yeah, but, dude. you know, anyone, anyone – I'll never criticise anyone who's um, – you know, doing a good thing for the planet, of course. It's, yeah, for you know, sure. It's great. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, we all fall into into yeah. those human little traps when, when ego gets in there, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But once again, it's it's when people are taking themselves too seriously that yeah. that it all gets like that. It gets petty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, bro, it's been such a good chat, Ash. Like, really appreciate it. No worries, you, man. Billy. It's good to, yeah, good to catch up and yeah, have a chat. That was it awesome. It really, really fed my heart, man. And um, I just really want to honor the work that you're doing, man, that your sacred art and everything you're speaking into the human space with connection and heart evolution and really want to encourage you to keep pushing your podcast, bro. Get those episodes back. <laughs> I think you've encouraged me to get back on the pod, pod horse. Yeah, man. And um, just quickly, for some people that haven't heard about your book, can you just quickly say something really short about, um, yeah, it's, it's such yeah. a cool title. Yeah, that one's called Surf by Day, Jam by Night. And, um, you know, a lot of the kind of discussions that we've had in this podcast, it, it goes into those territory, but also it's fundamentally just, you know, having a yarn to some really great surfers and great musicians. Mm. Have you got an audible version of that? Is there an audio? No, we talked about it because there's a lot of interviews. I'm yeah. really disappointed that I I haven't got round to sort of trying to push that, mm. but maybe that's something that we'll have a look at. Yeah, and um, this latest project that you've made with Josh, Josh Teske from the Teske Brothers, um, yeah. listen to both those tracks, love them. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's still – is is it a whole album? Yeah, it's a yeah. whole album. So there's a, there's a couple more singles to come out and then I think the um, – Album will come out in a month and we're going to be touring that in February. Dude, huge. Brother, big love. I'm so stoked that I only live like 20, 30 minutes from you. Came for some surfs. <laughs> yeah, let's and get love it love to write something with yeah, you. Yeah, that would be cool. Awesome, brother. Thanks so much, brother. Thanks, Cheers, bro. Ash. Yeah, dude. Oh, Great chat. Oh, so raw. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Us podcast. This podcast is created on Bundjalung land, just south of Byron Bay. 
We pay our respects to the original custodians of this land. If this episode has connected with you, please leave a comment, share the episode on your Instagram stories and subscribe to this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. The Beginning of Us is produced by Billy Otto. The theme music is by Billy Otto and Caleb Tusker. Technical direction by Eliash Perez. Find out all about Billy's many mindful projects and music by Instagram at, at Billy Otto. Blessings to you and namaste.